What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. This is Anthony. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we are going to be debunking and tackling the arguments made by Rick Warren and Andy Wood in favor of egalitarianism, in favor of female uh, women pastors in the church. So we're going to be kind of tackling what their arguments are. And Rick Warren does have a lot to say simply because he's like super liberal. That's why he went on the Russell Moore show to give a lot of these arguments. So, you know, there's going to be a lot to discuss there. And then Andy Wood has a more unlisted YouTube video in which he explains his own arguments to his own church. So there's a lot in there as well. So uh, it's going to be one of those nights where we're going to be tackling a little bit more theological topics than a lot of the newsy topics that we do. But this is an ongoing story. This is a story that's not going to go away because Rick Warren has made He's drew drawn his line in the sand. He wants a lot of attention, so he will get his attention. I get, I imagine. And with that said, uh, this is going to be the issue at Southern Baptist Convention 2023 because you know, last I checked, the Conservative Baptist Network doesn't have a candidate yet for uh, SBC president, which is one of the only things, the only power that the messengers have. But another power that the messengers will be able to have is to sustain the disfellowshipping of uh, Saddleback Church in, you know, California, Southern California. So the Southern Baptist messengers have very little power, but what they can do is vote for president. They can uh, affirm the report, the committee on committees report. So like the nominations to all the committees and trustee boards and stuff, they can do that. Those are the only two powers that they have but i imagine during the credentials committee session they will get to the opportunity to sustain or override the disfellowshipping of saddleback church that is something that will be put to the messengers because rick warren's going to appeal it according to his interview with russell moore so we're going to play more of that interview just to kind of preface how he talks about this entire uh debate but first, I do want to remind you all to hit that like button to drive up the magical YouTube algorithms and uh, chat us up. Send some chats in the comment section because we'll definitely interact with chat during this, you know, live stream because this is a pretty interesting topic. But otherwise, we're going to keep it pretty concise tonight on uh, this specific topic of egalitarianism women pre uh, preachers and stuff like that and Southern Baptist drama, just because it's highly relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, before we get into that, I want to let you know, evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join is where you can go to our Patreon like system. And, um, but the least you can do is like the video and subscribe to the channel if you are new. So, uh, oh, let me uh, pull up the, video and we're going to just dive right on into Rick Warren and uh, Russell Moore's interview. This was 
from Christianity Today and the Russell Moore podcast. First, what in the world? <laughs> well, I'm ready here to join in the former Southern Baptist uh, support group uh, <laughs> with Beth Moore, with Russell Moore, and a few others. Uh, I, uh, this last week, got kicked out. You know, uh, it's not a surprise to me, actually, uh, because when I started Saddleback Church 43 years ago, although I am a fourth-generation Southern Baptist, yeah. and my uh, grandfather, Chester um, uh, Armstrong, was related to Annie Armstrong. Really? I didn't pedigree, know that. Pretty much pedigree. Yeah. Uh, my great-great-grandfather was led to Christ by Charles Spurgeon and wow. sent to America to plant churches in the 1860s. So I have a long Baptist background. But you know what? We've done so many things not by the book. Uh, as being in 1980, when I started the church, we didn't put Babis in the name. Mm. Now, that was unheard of 40 years ago. Yeah. Today, it's very, very common. And uh, uh, it's a different convention than it was when we're missing yeah. those great statesmen that used to be here. And uh, those are sad times. Well, I was I was really, you said you weren't surprised. I was kind of bold. So who are the statesmen that were missing? Is he referring to like an Adrian Roger, Rogers uh, sort of figure? I mean, that I don't know. I mean, I mean, uh, he views himself as a statesman. Yes. I mean, the adult in the room kind of thing. Um, I will say uh, I understand like the whole push towards like non-denominational naming conventions on churches. But I mean, I feel like the Jesus, the Jesus movement, you know. I mean, kinda... Calvary Chapel is pretty innocuous in yeah. terms of like, it sounds very denominational uh, to the point where there's like, I believe it was Willie Rice's church is called like Calvary Chapel or something like that. So, well, you then know, you have like the village church. Wasn't that also vineyard vineyard, but so village I mean... is a different thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there's a lot of non-denominational sounding church naming conventions that arose and obviously when you got you know elevation church i believe is the largest southern baptist church uh that's stephen furtick's mega church in the hotly growing area of north carolina so it happens but whether he kind of frames it as he pioneered the trend i'm not really convinced by that historically speaking over just because yeah. I would think with with all of the the crises involving the treatment of women, sexual abuse within the SBC, that saying that a church um, is giving women too much uh, is really not the problem in uh, the SBC as I uh, see it. And I couldn't believe that, that that's what uh, they were taking up. But you know, the, the question... Well, let, me, let me say a word about that. Yeah. It's not an accident that the same voices that said, we cannot protect women from abuse because of the autonomy of the local church are the same voices that are saying, but we can prevent them from being called pastors yeah. in the autonomy of the local church. So yeah. it only the autonomy only matters if it's convenient for you. In other words, they clearly think we have say in your church over staff titles mm -hmm. uh but it was it was a misnomer to say well we don't we can't do anything we're not responsible for this uh, abuse that's going on because they're all independent autonomous churches nonsense so, so so this is one of the reasons why i wanted to do this stream is because of the erroneous arguments that rick warren's making here and russell moore actually makes the argument first just you know credit where credit is due there 
but they want to tie the uh it's a fake issue of sex abuse in the church like what the, it is a fake narrative if you look at the numbers it, it you're talking x amount of cases over 40 years which is comparably small compared to say public schools com even the I don't know about the Catholic church, but even the Catholic church is like what? 201 cases, which for the largest, you know, religious denomination out there. So, which is all like homosexual pedophiles in the church for the most part, if I recall, but you're talking about an extremely exaggerated issue on top of that, the sex abuse task force report, because a lot of people, you know, read the headline, but they didn't actually read the report. It didn't cover any sex, uh, uncover any sex abuse. It accused Johnny Hunt of sexual assault, which is not the same thing. And it didn't credibly accuse him of sexual assault. So that wasn't a credible case that they made against Johnny Hunt. It wouldn't stand in court under any circumstances. And then it attacked Mike Stone, I believe, who's a sex abuse survivor. It attacked and it promoted the Jennifer Lyell narrative. That's what the report did. And most people didn't read it. And it shows anytime this conversation sh comes up, they ran with the Houston Chronicle uh, article, which was, again, highly exaggerated when you take in the fact that there's over 40,000, uh, 44,000, 48,000, who knows, Southern Baptist churches over the course of 40 years. Well, the other and thing. The other the thing number of was, cases uh, is comparably small. I mean, and a lot of them were self-resolving. Like it wasn't like a cover-up. It was someone with charged with a crime and then they go to jail. Yeah. I mean, basically they're, I mean, 205 pages, the idea being, you know, if it's 205 pages, no one's going to read it all except, you know, the people like me that actually have time to just sift through it and just breeze right through it. But the trend was most of those churches probably weren't even Southern Baptist. The, in the cases where the police were involved, the process actually did work. I mean, again, the idea of, you know, a church being without sin. I mean, you don't find that in the Bible as much as people want to talk about having a first century church and going back to. And um, we're going to talk about the first first century fetishizing, because, you know, some people think that the first century church was like the best era of church history. And I kind of think that that's a facade unless you're an orthodox bro, an ortho bro. You really shouldn't be making that argument because, you know, the Protestant Reformation brought a lot of, uh, I don't want to say innovation because, you know, the early church figured out the Trinity. They figured out Christology. The Protestant Reformation helped the church figure out uh, justification by faith and a, a few other, you know, ecclesiastical doctrines like, you know, who is head of the church. It's not the Pope and stuff like in developments like that. So I don't. You know, I don't think we should be over, uh, uh, you know, the early church had its problems. That's why we got the letters of Corinthians. I mean, and again, if you go back to their database of names, I mean, majority of the names, I mean, you have uh, one where a church retained their pastor after he was convicted of rape, not a Southern Baptist church, even though they had Baptists in the name. Uh, you have uh, Prestonwood Baptist Church in Texas, which is... Jack largest, Graham's church, right? Yes, the largest church in that list. But Jack Graham started in 1989. The case in question happened before. So presumably he was hired after that was all dealt. 
So basically, and he might not have reasonably known because if he was on the, if he was being hired, the people that hired him probably knew and they probably withheld that information from him. So I'm going to respond to a couple of comments here. Uh, Caroline says, I'm interested in this as I was raised SBC. Then I left the church and I'm back. I I'm shocked at the direction of the SBC. I left as I got entangled in sin. Why are these two leaving? Well, I'm glad you're back in the church, Caroline. Uh, these two, I mean, Russell Moore got another job. That's why he left the Southern Baptist convention. He got a job and then he claimed on his way out that he's the most Baptist Baptist, but I believe he goes to a Presbyterian <laughs> church. So ironic there. And then, uh, Robert says it's sounds like Rick Warren is working with the woke to rob the SBC for sexual abuse claims that apply to the local church, deeper pockets and meant to meant meets the burn it down goal. So the idea that he's trying to burn down the SBC because, or as he's getting kicked out, that's a pretty interesting conspiracy theory. I don't think he's thinking that far ahead just because I think he's mostly thinking about himself, but that is a selfish thing to do. I I don't think he would be involved in any cases brought against him. I just think it's more of a pride thing. It's more of an ego thing. They've now they've challenged him, even though he's technically not even the, the top guy at Saddleback church. Andy Wood would be disqualified. Should he's be disqualified. A, he's a pastor emeritus or emeritus, if you want to make him sound like a disease at I mean, Saddleback is, Church. But he's, I mean, Andy Wood could basically be the pastor at the Glades Church in, or FBC Orlando because he's basically on their level. Yes. Yes. And I think Saddleback and Elevation were on that level the entire time. So what I want to make mention of is that they want the reason why they're trying to. Uh, tying the fake narrative of sex abuse with the issue of egalitarianism is that's that's the goal. They want to put women pastors in the church. And ironically, Al Mohler, prior to SBC 19, uh, tweeted out that, you know, complementarianism would be the biggest issue, would be a rising issue in the Southern Baptist Convention. So Al Mohler tweeted this out in 2019, which is pretty interesting given who Al Mohler is, given what side... Uh, he's on because in 2019 he was on the liberal side. Oh, conveniently, right after me too. So it's not even bad. That's not bad foresight for the. For the that's time. actually pretty good foresight on Al Mohler's part. I do want to give him credit, even though he, I don't trust him, and I think he's like the number one figure responsible for the current state of the SBC. Uh, but that was pretty good foresight by by Al Mohler. Going to give him credit on that, and this is why because they are using the Me Too agenda to push in female pastors so let's hear more of what uh rick warren has to say um uh some of them would probably say well the the confession of faith uh says that uh, the office of pastor is to be held by men qualified by scripture yeah yeah and saddleback now has women pastors how do you see that well in the first place southern baptists have always been anti-creedal i grew up with the phrase We have no creed but Christ. We have no book but the Bible. This is not a battle between liberals and conservatives. All the liberals left a long time ago. Mm. Everybody in the SBC believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. Now we're talking about difference of interpretation. Those particular passages, Titus, Timothy, and, and Corinthians, have hundreds, literally hundreds of interpretations. We should be able to expel people over sin, racism, sexual abuse, uh, other sexual sins, things like that. 
but this is over over uh, 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 you mean wait a minute we can disagree over the atonement we can disagree over um, uh, um, election and 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 we can disagree over dispensationalism. We can disagree over the second coming. We can disagree over the nature of sin, but we can't disagree over what you name your staff. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference. This is the same old battle that's been going on for 100 years in the SBC is between conservative Baptists and fundamental Baptists. Mm-hmm. Now, fundamentalism is a word that has changed meaning. A hundred years ago, I would have called myself a a fundamentalist Mm -hmm. because in the 1920s, it meant you hold the historic doctrines of uh, of the church, the blood atonement of Christ, uh, uh, you know, the authority of scripture, uh, uh, you know, all of the basic cardinal doctrines of evangelical Protestantism. Mm -hmm. But, But that word has changed. Because now we have fundamental Methodists, I mean, excuse me, fundamental Muslims, mm-hmm. fundamental Buddhists. We have fundamental atheists. We have fundamental what? communists. We have fundamentalists who are secularists. It, today, a fundamentalist means you've stopped listening. Mm. It means you've stopped listening. It's the number one mark of it. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I do not believe in the inerrancy of your interpretation, nor of mine for that matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is why I have to say, I could be wrong, yeah. okay? Uh, we have to approach scripture humbly, saying, I, I could be wrong. Uh, I ne- you'll never hear a fundamentalist say that. I yeah. could be wrong. A, a conservative Baptist believes in the inerrancy of scripture. A fundamentalist Baptist believes in the inerrancy of their, of their interpretation. You had to mm. repeat that? That's, that's a big difference. But you, of course, would agree that if... Uh, if Saddle- so let's kind of discuss what he's talking about there he's basically trying to say that denominations can't have secondary issues that they disagree on it oh that's the argument i believe he's halfway through that argument so i believe he has more to say on that but he's trying to make it seem like there is no right or wrong interpretation of scripture i flat out disagree with that so this is an attack on the authority of scripture. So he can say all he wants that he's an inerrantist. Uh, there's a difference, but what he's actually proclaiming is theoretical inerrancy, not practical or in practice inerrancy. So that's the distinction that R- Rick Warren's making. He is a theoretical inerrantist because if you can't understand what scripture means, then what's the point of it? No, there's, there's also one, the SBC, when they actually do disfellowship churches, most of the churches they've disfellowship were over either alleged racial claims or alleged sexual abuse claims that in which on the egalitarianism is also a major factor. Recently, yes. The recent five churches, yes. But I mean, a lot of times when they're disfellowshipping, it's over racial claims. And that's and, or gay stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, they are technically doing what Rick Warren says, even if the case even if the substance of the cases is rather lacking or if the churches are only being disfellowshipped because they're not responding to an email. So, I mean, they are doing that. You know, it's kind of like yes and, even though a lot of the cases, again, the substance is not there. Second, he's actually trying to call himself conservative at this point and trying to say that he's not a progressive or a liberal, even though he kind of is. And, and again, Russell Moore is going to yes man him on this one. Uh. I'm going to 
touch on if you uh, outlaw says if you believe in the bible how do you end up allowing yourself to take on the identity liberal versus conservative those are worldly titles yes and no i mean so because liberal hasn't yeah so and evangelical these are all titles i mean i think conservative refers you know there are a lot of de different definitions of what conservative means but let's take liberal for a second liberal just means that you're theologically apostate that that's basically what it means uh and you're not an, an inerrantist so i i see rick warren is trying to lower the priority because i i would say that female pastors in the church is a primary issue because so, it directly attacks the authority of scripture well it just says uh well the qualifications for an elder that's a primary issue because again by if well the same standard I, I don't think that's necessarily a primary issue this is what I call a proxy issue, and it's in my upcoming book, and I talk all about these proxy issues. You know, sexuality is one proxy issue, but female pastors, feminism, and egalitarianism are another proxy issue. These are proxies for the authority of Scripture. Did God really say that he, he didn't permit an elder to preach or to teach or a woman to be an elder? Did God really say that? This is an authority issue. Uh, so let's go back. Had uh, baptized babies, uh, for for instance, yeah, that, yeah. that that other churches would say, okay, well, we we have all kinds of churches that do that, but Saddleback's not a Baptist church if they do that, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: I believe the church at its best was the church at its birth. And honestly, I have to say this, I wasn't planning on talking about this with you, Russell, but first, I understand why people get upset about this because I believed the way they did until three years ago. Mm. And I actually had to change because of scripture. Culture could not change me on this issue. Antidotes could not change me on this issue. Pressure from other people would not change me on this issue. What changed me was when I came to con confrontation with four scriptures nobody ever talked about that I felt had strong implications about women in ministry, and nobody had ever shown it to me. I knew the Titus passage. I knew the the the, the Timothy passage. I knew First Corinthians, and I and every time people say, "Why don't you have women pastors?" I say, "Show me a verse. You give me one verse, you know, I'll, I'll consider it because I'm a Bible guy. I mm -hmm. can't just say, well." everybody's doing it. Or I've been to 165 countries and I've seen churches of 30, 40, 50,000 people led by a senior pastor who's a woman. Uh, that's not enough for me. Mm -hmm. I have to have a biblical basis. Three years ago, um, right after I had taken uh, the leadership of uh, finishing the task, and that's something else I hope we can talk about later on. Uh, during When COVID hit, I I want to pause right here because he's going to transition to, I think, his proof text argument. So what he's saying is that you can divide, you can create a denomination around paedo-baptism versus credo-baptism, but you can't do it over uh, women pastors. You can't divide over women pastors once you create those denominations between paedo-baptists and credo-baptists. Uh, because like the Southern Baptists, you know, they're a big tent, right? I like the, the whole, I didn't change because of the world or because of a bunch of anecdotes or because I met someone that was maybe a woman pastor or because I went to a church that 
was 30,000 people led by a woman. I didn't change because of all these things in the world. I changed because of scripture. It's just like, really? Yeah, but it's like, what did he bring up before this? He brought up the Me Too agenda in the church. That is a worldly agenda. Which would be nearing three years ago. But, you know, just to give a quick spoiler alert, he goes woke in this as well. So there's your spoiler alert for what he's about to say. I started reading every book I could find on the Great Commission and on church history. And I read over 200 books on the Great Commission and on uh, the history of missions. And I I was asking two questions. One, why did the church grow fastest in the first 300 years? What, we went from 120 people in the upper room to becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire in 300 years. Mm-hmm. In my library, I have a Roman denarius of 87 with Caesar on the coin. But in 320, I've got a picture of a denarius with a cross on the coin. That's major cultural change. And the church grew about 50% a decade for the first 300 years. And I made a list of about 25 things that they did that we're not doing today. As a- I mean, one of those things might be militarization. If you talk about the, you know, Milvian Bridge and a lot of battles that took place in the Roman Empire, uh, Constantine and stuff like that. I just like uh, we're not doing crusades right now, but I just like how he's trying to say that exponential growth from like 120 to a million people is is like you would it's kind of like you saying you can't sustain that rate of conversion that's not a sustainable yeah. rate i mean it's like saying oh wow the growth of a newborn infant you know if that growth that's rate, the fastest they grow in their life that's the fastest they'll grow in their life is at the beginning of their life and you're saying oh man that growth of the infant needs to be continuing like 10 years into their life no if it did they would be either a giant or dead because you know progeria is a real you know thing uh, and not that the church can get that, but the way he presents the church is like, the, you know, you're, you're all about the early church, which didn't ordain women. And yet he's going to make the argument that we need to follow the Great Commission by ordaining women. So that's where he's going with this. The church. I also made a list of the things that we have that we think we have to have that they didn't have. Hmm. They didn't have planes, trains, automobiles. They didn't have church buildings. There were no church buildings in the fastest period of growth of the church for the first 300 years. I've been in the oldest church in Malula, Syria, in a small little church. Seats about Maybe because people. they were destroyed by um, Muslims. They had no pulpits. The idea that a, one guy would stand behind a pulpit and preach, that wasn't New Testament worship. Paul says everybody has a song. Everybody has a scripture. Everybody has a teaching. It was, a, it was in a house, and everybody shared. It wasn't one guy sit still while I instill. That's our cultural imposition. And, and so what did they do? They, they didn't have printing press. They mm. didn't have the internet. They didn't have radio TV. And yet they grew faster in the first 300 years than any other period of time. Then the next 1700 years, I was asking what went wrong? Why have, it, in, in 1988, the IMB, International Mission Board, hired an Anglican uh, scholar, David Barrett, to study. And he wrote a book called the 877 plans to complete the Great Commission from AD 0 to 1988. I've used that book for the last three years as an index to study why we didn't get it done, what went wrong. 
and it's and it even tells you the Catholics had this many plans, and the and, and you know the the Anabaptists had this plan, and the Lutherans and the Methodists, they, and you can look at them all. And I've seen all the things they did wrong, and and so FTT, we're talking about that. Well, anyway, in that study, in that study, caused me to change my view about women. Nothing else could have studied it as I came upon three different scriptures. First. So he's talking about a study done by a human changed his views on scripture, not scripture changing his views on scripture. Also like a vague study on why the Great Commission wasn't fulfilled. I mean, are we going to not address that? You know, nations are hostile to Christianity. The idea that you had hair, like the Middle East, I guess, would, would had Gnosticism really arise. And that's, of course, a lot of the Christianity that Muhammad would have been exposed to. Um, then, of course, the rise of Islam shut the door on a lot of Christians. Of course, China's hostile. Japan was notoriously hostile. The we new colonized. World, yeah, the New World wasn't uh, and, colonized and yet. In, and then in 1947, they created the Nation of Israel, which, you know, de-Christianized that area to, to a large extent. Just going to go there. Uh, but we're not going to pretend that, you know... The, He's almost asking, like, yeah, had we just continued this exponential growth, there wouldn't have been any, uh, I guess, road stops and speed bumps along the way that would have attacked the church. And then, of course, there's always the issue of heresies arising in the church. I mean, the church has to do battle, and we always have had to do battle. I don't think, you know, I'm not a post-millennial who thinks that majority of the world will someday be Christian. I don't think that at all. I think we're always going to be a remnant. And there's some periods where we're going to be a more thriving remnant than others. But uh, that's just the way it is. The Great Commission. Now, Baptists, Southern Baptists like to call ourselves Great Commission Baptists. Mm -hmm. And we claim that we believe the Great Commission is for everybody. Both men and women are to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, not really you don't believe that because it says there are four verbs in the Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptize, and teach. Women are to go. Women are to make disciples. Women are to baptize. And women are to teach, not just men. Now, this is one of the reasons why Saddleback has baptized more people than any church in American yeah. history. 57,000 adult baptisms in 43 years. Why? Because in our church, if you win them to Christ, you get to baptize them. What's the retention rate on that 57,000? Gotta love the, the stats. I mean, if we were doing a drinking game, every time he talks about his numbers, you take yeah, a drink. Exactly. Every time he talks about himself, just take a drink. Okay, but let's just reword his great commission exegesis and just say, okay, you know, just eisegesis. Eise yeah, but let's do... Uh, <laughs> You know, gay people, you know, gay people were called to teach. Gay people were called called to baptize and go. And uh, it's like you could replace women in his in his uh, lens with any other subgroup. Yeah, I think that's true. But the context isn't about the local church. It isn't. A, this passage is missional. It's not ecclesiastical. It's not talking about church government governance. Uh, it's not talking about whether uh, it doesn't even necessarily 
mean that everyone can baptize because, you know, oftentimes the church has held the views and I think majority of churches hold the view that only uh, ordained ministers can carry out the ordinance of baptism. So there's a lot of debate around that. But yeah, I think everyone's called to make disciples. I think everyone's called to, uh, you know, teach uh, and go and proclaim the good news. I think we're all called to do that. That doesn't mean we're all called to be pastors. The Great Commission doesn't just apply to pastors. So th this is a uh, major error that he's, it's a logical fallacy because the verse isn't talking about pastors. I mean, it's laughably bad, but you know, here we are. So if a mom wants to baptize her child or a wife wants to baptize her husband that she led to Christ, anybody can baptize anybody they led to Christ. 57,000 baptized. It's the liberation, the emancipation of every member as a minister that truly we believe in the priesthood of the priest most of the time instead of the priesthood of the believer. Now, great commission, go make disciples, baptize, teach. You can't say, well, the first two are for men and women, the last two are only for men or maybe just ordained men. That's eisegesis. That's I. You, you got a problem. Who authorized women to teach? Jesus. All authority is given to me, therefore teach. All authority is given to me, therefore baptize. You got a problem with the Great Commission. I had to repent when I actually looked at the Great Commission. Hmm. I had to say, it's not just for ordained men. It's for everybody. The second thing that changed my mind was the day of Pentecost. Two things happened on that day. We know the first day of the church, the church is its birth, is the church at its best. On that day in, at Pentecost, we know women were in the upper room. We know women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We know that women were preaching in languages that other people couldn't hear to a mixed audience. No, we we know women, it wasn't just men. Women were preaching on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? because Peter felt obligated to explain it. Hmm. And so in Acts chapter two, verses uh, 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 17 and 18, he goes, hey guys, these people aren't drunk. What you're seeing was foretold by Joel. It was gonna happen. And he said, so he explains why you're now seeing women preaching on the very first day of the church. He explains it and he says, this is that that Joel predicted. And here's what he says. He's explaining why they hear all these different languages being spoken at once. I mean, it's kind of vague to even suggest, I mean, I don't even know if 120 means 120 women or 120 men, exclusively men. But I mean, Jesus is actually giving the Great Commission as his final words to his disciples. I mean, according to the chosen, Mary is like the leader of the disciples. So no, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> As for J the Joel passage, I mean, yeah, it's about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that, and and it's so it's the pro uh, prophetic word about that, and that was fulfilled at Pentecost. But I mean, it's kind of just conjecture to say that because you know women could have been included in the hundred and twenty. That means, therefore, they were teaching, speaking in tongues, and doing all the stuff at Pentecost. I mean, again, uh, I mean, obviously, what uh, Peter and James gotten a lot of heat for 
or is it James and John that got into a lot of heat and acts at the temple? I mean, I'm sure there weren't women preaching at the temple in a first century Jerusalem. Right. Uh, I want to comment on this. Uh, most evangelicals think laymen can perform sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper and hold the pulpit and preach uh, God's word. All are for office holders only. If true, why ordain at all? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Like I, I am under the impression that there's a lot of th this is a debated category, but I was under the impression at least majority of teachers, at least maybe not laymen, but. I, I, I am under the impression most uh, pastors think that ordinances are to be carried out by the pastorate. Yeah, I don't not, know. Not the lady. I'm not even sure. I mean, obviously, there's like the Rick Warren type churches out there. I'm not sure of like how many churches would actually say that any layman can perform the ordinances, especially if they're not like an elder, a deacon or even or, a, of course, the pastor itself. I'm not. More, more or less women as well. And, and uh, Robert women. points out that Acts 2 prophecy means to speak under inspiration, not to be an elder, which is, I, again, uh, okay. We, we, yeah, exactly. That's not, we're not talking about, that passage is not prescribing church governance activity. So. In the last days, and clearly that means Peter thought the last days began with the birth of the church. We're in the latter of the last days now. We don't know how many more there will be, but the last days began with Is the birth of the church. Peter us? says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's different than the Old Testament. Russell, I've, I've looked at over 300 commentaries on those verses, and it's interesting to me that almost everybody goes, yep, in the, in the church, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to preach. Everybody gets to prophesy. And the people who don't like that ignore that verse. John MacArthur doesn't even cover that verse. He just skips over it. And then the third thing that changed my mind, see, none of this had to do with culture. Mm -hmm. it had to do with scripture. And then all of a sudden, I noticed. You have a MacArthur's commentary. Is that true? I don't. Well, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to see. What, what verse did he cite in Peter? Uh. I didn't catch the numbers. I'm I'm like so deep in Old Testament right now, minor prophets. <laughs> so I didn't catch that, but uh, yeah, not sure. He, I don't think John MacArthur has not touched that verse because John MacArthur touches a lot of controversial verses, even when and if he's been wrong, like Romans thirteen. That the very first sermon. The very first Christian sermon, the message of the gospel of good news of the resurrection, this is Jesus shows test. a woman to deliver it to men. He had Mary Magdalene go and tell the disciples. Now, that clearly wasn't an accident. It was an intentional. It's a whole new world, baby. Instead of time out. Now, he has a woman go tell the apostles. You got on, Can a woman teach an apostle? Evidently did it on the first day. He chose her to be the first preacher of the gospel. So you would, after the last three. So what he just did was elevate the messenger over the message and the sender of the message. Because that's what Jesus did. 
he asked them to deliver a message. That message was not a sermon. It well, was good news. Let's not get, you know get that wrong. It was good news, but it wasn't a sermon. Well, I mean, one, you're being a courier, not yeah. You know, I mean, that's like being the mailman. Second, I mean, the whole idea of woman, male woman, uh, the whole idea of the woman being the witness was is like the least credible accusation you like that's the least credible testimony you would ever conjure up if you were to fake the history is that the woman would be the the courier of the message like that's what all the apologists will say is like if you're going to craft it you would have like nicodemus or joseph of arimathea you'd have you'd have someone like that be the witness not a woman who you know might be associated with the harlotry that's eh, dubious but that's what the chosen thinks but so it must be right. <laughs> but again, it is, you know, it's always a coincidence that, you know, that people like to heretics like to grasp on to Mary Magdalene. Like that's that's, you know, that's been a church history phenomenon. That's what the Gnostics do. That's what, you know, a lot of these obviously the feminist types will try to do along with attacking the Holy Spirit as being like a feminine Yeah, I mean, this is just such a fail because they weren't preaching a sermon and he just erroneously says that they preached the first sermon in Christian history in church history. Also, uh, I guess the sermons that existed before Christ, or at least before the resurrection by Christ, like the sermon on the Mount uh, don't count, but they also don't hear of Mary, uh, Jesus mother uh, being elevated as like an elder in the church, so to speak. Oh, the You're Catholics, just triggering all the Catholics there. The Catholics might disagree, but like you, you don't see that in scripture of her being well, like a preacher or priest priest. Well, of I, I think according to the Catholics, the not the extra biblical gospel of James is, you know, the canon on Mary. That's where they derive like pretty much all most that's where they derive a lot of the theology on Mary is from the Gospel of James, which is, you know, non canon three years, uh, you would support uh, men and women as elders, a senior pastor, as as everything within the church? I, I would, I would, I would, but, I, but here's what I'd say. Be, because I have to say, this is my interpretation, mm -hmm. I have to say with humility, it doesn't bother me if you disagree with me. Mm -hmm. For 2,000 years, the church has debated the role of women in culture. But to make it a, a litmus test for that's not true. It's been like a couple hundred years. Proto-feminism and feminism. Well, I mean, I mean one much, way to before know, the Methodists, how much debate was there on women teachers? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, not saying history is like authoritative and like you know, tradition should not be authoritative on the level of scripture. Obviously, you know, keeping to our solos. But you know, if you're coming up with a radically new trend, new. Uh, Jesus or hermeneutic or any sort of teaching, then that's probably a red flag that in 2000 years of history, if you're the first one to come up with an idea, it's probably not correct. Yeah, like Christian hedonism. Or are you a Baptist or not is nonsense. Because the very first, the very first Baptist confession of 1610 says the officers of the church are elder not pastor and deacons and deaconesses mm -hmm. that's the original baptist confession so do you want to go back to the original or or, or not 
Um, and so go read the preamble of the Baptist faith message, which it says. So this is an argument that we're going to see Andy Wood make is that elder and pastor are not synonymous, which is a pretty, again, I don't know if that's a new argument, but that's not a commonly held belief among you know people within the realm of orthodoxy. They treat elder, pastor, bishop as the same thing different names for the same office yeah a lot of times the distinctions came later and obviously uh the you know i mean obviously the word is the same this is not binding on anybody it says it in the preamble this is mm -hmm. not binding on any church but now we're turning it a, a, a confession into a creed and mm -hmm. we're weaponizing it we're starting an inquisition and if this this now falls into place. Any pastor each week can stand up and say, I want to kick out that church because they disagree on dispensationalism. So let's uh, pause right there. So I believe the fact checked on this statement was that, yeah, the preamble says that, but the SBC constitution also says that like all, you know, in order to be a member in good faith of the Southern Baptist convention, you have to have, either the BFM 2000 or a similar faith statement. I mean, alternatives might be like the New Hampshire confession. Cause that's like, you know, a Baptist faith statement, you know, having, you know, once you have women preachers, you're not a Baptist church anymore. You've gone Methodist or something Methodist who dunk. That's basically what you are. We should kick out churches for sin. We should kick out churches that harm the testimony of the of the convention. This isn't harming the testimony of anybody, hmm. and well, and it's a it's what's a, disp a disputable issue, as Paul says in Romans fourteen. The no, problem with the fundamentalists no. is there are no disputable, no secondary issues with them. Every one of them matters. How do you tell the difference between primary and secondary issues? Not not specifically with this, but with with anything. I think mean, there are a lot of people who who yeah. struggle with that. Well, you know what? Al Mohler, in, in, in a, a book written by Danny Aiken, wrote a, a very good thing that I agree with him on that. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, he says a pastor has to do triage. Yeah. And, and there are primary, which are, you got to have this or you're not saved. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he says, then there are secondary. And he said, and of those secondary causes, he said, those secondary causes, like, for or against Calvinism, the a, a system of soteriology. That might split a church, but he said even that shouldn't split a denomination. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the third are matters of preference, okay, which are, okay, this, or I, I don't even know what those would be, but they're just so minor. They're like, well, you believe this color, or I believe that color, or, or drinking or not drinking, or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, this issue, women's role, it's not a primary issue because it, it doesn't have to do with salvation. It is a secondary issue. And if Al is correct, according to his triage, it might split a church, but it shouldn't split a denomination. Because I, I thought. So that doesn't make sense. I like how he said Romans 14, but, you know, he's citing Paul to refute Paul. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a little bit of a cell phone there. but. 
and again, in my upcoming book, I define what a primary, secondary, and tertiary issue are. You know, primary issues are your gospel issues. I also define this on Evangelical Dark Web, by the way. Uh, it's how I do my discernment regarding false teachers. And secondary issues are, you know, distinctions between denominations, not just distinctions that would split a church. So I don't know where he's really coming up with that. Um, and then tertiary issues are things that I don't think the church can, beliefs that I don't think that the church can impose on an individual. I do think that secondary issues are because that is why you choose. Theoretically, that is why you choose the church that you go to is over secondary issues, not necessarily the primary issues. I think, you know, for instance, Calvinism is a secondary issue. Um, that's not to say that, you know, it doesn't explain salvation, but, you know, the math behind salvation, I don't think is a primary issue. The gospel itself is a primary issue. So with that said, uh, women pastors is a proxy for the authority of scripture. You're directly going against the authority of scripture. Therefore it's a primary issue. It becomes a primary issue. The same thing. If you were just automatically uh, celebrating homosexuality, why is it a primary issue? Because you are going directly against scripture. That is a, you know, that is you're challenging the authority of scripture. That's a primary issue. So let's, I mean, uh, would he have been okay if Saddleback was disfellowship for the gayness? Yeah. I mean, to me, they're the fact that they're holding groom groups to me should be grounds for, uh, should be grounds for disfellowshipping. Or if they called the blacks, uh, the black struggle session that he did, if, the, if that was, would have been disfellowshipped over grounds of racism, would he have been okay with that? Like, uh, who knows? I mean, I think it's just because he thinks himself untouchable that how dare they, you know, the Greta Thunberg. So let's uh, roll tape. You said earlier that senior pastor, elder, anything uh, w was fine with you. So that's that's I would say that in our church, we've decided that the el the, the senior pastor is to be a man, uh, oh, a married man of one wife. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't kick somebody out over that. I think that's again a secondary, a secondary issue. Here's the thing, Russell. Um, for hundreds of years, Black Baptist churches have been ordaining women as bishops, as pastors, as uh, prophetesses, as apostles, uh, as elders, as deaconesses. If this is true, the SBC is holding up a sign said, all black churches, look elsewhere. You're not wanted here because they already have. I've had over 300 letters written to me by scared pastors going, if they find out us, we've ordained uh, women in our church, will we get kicked out too? And they're scared to death. They're scared. I, I'm actually, uh, uh, to me, if all this hurt was Saddleback, I'd just walk away from it. So... Let's well, uh, pause before we go into his self-righteous spiel. I mean, I like, will add a disclaimer that the of the five, like of the churches that were disfellowshipped, along with Rick Warren, the others had female head pastors. So uh, Rick Warren's was the only of the group that had, you know, Andy Wood as the head. But 
So, uh, I mean, the idea that a bunch of churches out there probably have female pastors, remember, youth pastors, or whatever. He but, said he wasn't compromising with the world. And what is he talking about? He's talking about wokeism. This, yeah. this is a woke argument that he's making, that black people can't be held to pro a standard of having proper theology. I mean, That's basically what he's saying. He's basically justifying NAR theology. Oh, call yourself an apostle or a bishop. Take up these lofty titles. Also, the black church has been historically apostate for probably over 100 years at this point. Like Howard Thurman, not a Christian. He was pretty much your proto-liberation the theology. And Christianity Today, you know, Russell Moore's outlet, likened the He Gets Us campaign to that theologian. Um, then you have MLK. Um, yeah, MLK wasn't, was pretty heterodox. And people don't want to talk about that. And too many white churches celebrated him uh even though he's basically a communist so i don't know why uh all these conservatives and christians want to celebrate a communist who is you know more out there than thomas jefferson theologically so but but there's two things that i i'm concerned about i'm concerned about now convinced we'll never fulfill the great commission with half of the church sitting on the bench I, I believe the Great Commission was given to everybody. Everybody is to go, everybody is to make disciples, everybody is to baptize, and everybody is to teach. That's what the Great Commission says, and Jesus authorized men and women to do it. And I don't think we're ever going to complete it. We should quit calling ourselves Great Commission people if, we, if we're not going to obey the whole thing. I believe millions of Southern Baptist women are are being the talent and their spiritual gifts are being wasted waste and if the southern baptist one want them i'll take them i'll take them and i'll and i'll i'll help them find a place to uh to serve and glorify god with the spiritual gifts they were given do, so do you are you just sort of like i'm moving on now it doesn't matter to me or are you going to appeal this uh is saddleback going to appeal this on the floor of the uh, southern Baptist convention uh, this is the part we've already watched and discussed on this channel, so I think I'm gonna go ahead and just switch over to Andy Wood. I mean, this is a bad time to say that you know, you know, I can't have million half the SBC on the bench. You're right. We need them in the kitchen. We need them raising the kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is not the time to say that. Yep. Okay, uh, but I I do want to bring up andy wood this is an unlisted youtube video so it's not super public so i hope this is a nice treat for you all no wait, i don't want theater mode i want a full thing uh andy wood is a very he uh you know speaking of women pastors he sounds like one with how much he talks and keep in mind the amount of reason so little and the amount of recent controversy he's had this is probably very low on the totem pole because he just came out i guess he was talking about how like homosexual marriage is comparable to his own marriage through the book of Acts. So. yeah so uh the arguments that andy wood makes are actually uh a lot different than the arguments that uh What's his face? Rick Warren makes. So we're gonna get into that. I let's catch up on the chat a little bit. Uh, did he really bring up the black church? Wow. All I'll say, and all and all I'll say, as not to be called a name, is if they were part of the SBC, they would have been kicked out for ordaining women. And yeah, that's you know. We, and I'll be let's honest. Not be afraid of being called racist, but yeah, a lot of the churches that have been kicked out of the SBC were their CFB churches or a lot of black churches that ordained women. 
Yeah, I mean, because I'm guessing in whatever push for expanding the numbers, they either adopted some other organizations like church roles as active members, or they basically just wanted to pump up their numbers by and by enrolling a bunch of black churches that were not even, you know, Southern Baptists in their beliefs. I mean, they, they kicked out a church in Baltimore that had a woman pastor that had some kind of NAR theology because they referenced an apostle on their Facebook page. And of course, you know, it was a husband wife combo, but yeah. So let's see, uh, Andy Wood. I had the timestamp at 607 on this video. So the question to wrestle through this is, is at 1 in the speed. New Testament, were there both men and women who had the apostleship gift, the pastoral gift, evangelist, shepherd, teacher? And undoubtedly, uh, when you study the New Testament of the scripture, almost every theologian would argue, yes, there are men who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teacher. The question that oftentimes is in controversy is, do women have those spiritual gifts or are they commissioned by God to be functioning in those particular uh, areas of the local church? And what we would say to that is all throughout the New Testament, both in Paul's teaching and in Jesus' teaching, we see apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The apostle, um, I'll give you an example, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, uh, there's a moment uh, where Junia, a woman by the name of Junia, was commissioned as a, an apostle. Um, in fact, Paul says she was known as an apostle. When it comes to prophets, we see Philip in uh, Acts chapter 2. He had four daughters who were prophets. When it comes to evangelists, in John chapter 20, verses 16 through 18, the first evangelists after the resurrection were women. When it comes to shepherds, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, uh, we see very clearly Aquila and Priscilla were shepherds that were, they were in a local church and they were shepherding people. When it comes to teachers, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, uh, Paul in particular commends a woman by the name of Phoebe as a teacher. So this is important for us to recognize from a descriptive angle. So let's break that down, apostles. I mean, basically everything he said was kind of made up. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, yeah, he did affirm the continuation of the apostle as a as an office, which that's all that's probably yeah. a no no in Southern Baptist circles. Well, here's the thing: the age of apostles has already ended, so this argument's a non sequitur, even if it's true. It doesn't apply to the local church ordaining women as elders slash pastors. So. We got a category error here because, you know, we're in a different time. There's no more apostles. Apostles, uh, and I did some research on the whole junior, and there's two, you know, reasonable doubts on this. Uh, one is whether junior was junias or a, even a woman. So you, there's reasonable doubt on that. General consensus is that junior was a woman. But there's still, you know, significant people. Uh, I mean, we're talking significant about, debate on that. We're talking about one verse, and that's uh, Romans sixteen seven. But I mean, again, just reading the different versions. Salute. This is King, King James. Uh, salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the among the apostles. So again, they weren't apostles; they were of note among the apostles. NASB. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles. And this one's either ESV or NIV. Uh, Greet Andronicus and Junia, uh, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known among the apostles. They were in Christ before me. So again, and they're introduced. The whole part about them being in Christ before him had to do with they might have been witnesses to the resurrection or and or Pentecost. No, I think 
they were introduced. I mean, they're introduced as as a married couple, which is the case with uh, Priscilla. And uh, so the argument, if you're going to say Priscilla and uh, uh, what's whatever uh, and Aquila, they're introduced as a married couple in every reference in Scripture. They're introduced together. They might be Priscilla and then Aquila or Aquila, then Priscilla, but they are introduced together as a couple. They're a unit. I mean, the other reasonable doubt on the Junia thing is whether they were apostles. And the general overwhelming consensus is no, they were not apostles. I mean, is there a good translation of the Bible that actually calls them apostles? I mean, I think the Nazib leans a little bit closer to that direction. uh, I mean, it says outstanding among the apostles. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it gives a lot of leeway to that but the other translations you read did not but and then you the evangelist thing using uh the resurrection passage which we already talked about with rick warren uh that's to me a stretch because i think evangelists even in was a ephesians 4 11 he's referencing i think that's a you know a more ill-defined role a more ill-defined office if it's even to be called an office so i am not convinced by that argument and again i mean phoebe in uh romans 16 i mean you get the i mean paul and i mean king james calls her a sucker succorer basically meaning that she helped paul in his suffering so and she's called a helper and a helper of many again not called a teacher at all so that might have actually meant that she might have administered some kind of physical aid to paul so he just made up the fact that she was a teacher oh yeah he made up all of his (laughs) like you're just stretching yeah and uh robert points out because i believe that's the etymology of apostle means one sent by the church Aaron boy or something like that that, yeah it means one who is sent i think it's like a messenger it does not mean a person is one of Christ's apostles. Yeah, and then that's the, and that might also be why Paul used the word, uh, the Greek word for apostle. So is because of that reason. So because it has a very literal meaning of messenger. And, but there's a huge distinction between the era of Christ uh, apostles, which is an era that is long over. So it's a non sequitur to translate that into modern day church governance. But I mean, a lot of these people he's referencing in his letters, they actually like physic. I mean, they're obviously physically worked with Paul, but they might've housed him in a city. They might've financially helped him. But I mean, he's, I mean, it's conflating someone being a benefactor or, you know, providing hospitality to, to being a teacher in an authoritative office in the church. The New Testament shows us women in apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher roles. Uh, Now, when you think about the functions, those five functions, there's also offices in the local church. And there are two offices in particular that we see in the New Testament. Those two offices include the office of elder and the office of deacon. The office of elder and the office of deacon. And the question here is, are men and women both supposed to serve in those two offices? And I want to start in particular uh, with the role of deacon. Now, we can see very clearly when it comes to deacon, there was a description of deaconesses 
Um, I don't know if I said that correctly, but you know, deaconess is the word for a woman deacon. Uh, you see that in Acts chapter 16 with Phoebe, she was a woman deacon, also known as a deaconess. So there's no question in the New Testament, most theologians would argue or agree that there were women who served as deacons. The question is in terms of eldership. Now, our interpretation of the New Testament is that the role of eldership, according to God's... I want to tackle the deacons question first. I think you can steal man. If you were to steal man the argument on women deacons, you could use 1 Timothy 7 to argue husband, wife, deacons. You could not use the Bible, in my opinion, to... And I'm doing the steel man best case argument. I don't think the best case argument would allow for single women to be deacons in the church. It would be married women with their husbands to be deacons in the church. And that is largely because deacons are an office that arise out of necessity. You know, the idea of serving tables and stuff. So the work of a deacon of the church would also be work that a husband and wife could do together. The work of an elder pastor of the church is not work that a husband and wife would be carrying out together. So there's a huge distinction there. But I'm making the steel man case for women deacons, and that, I believe, is it. So uh, you got anything to say to that on the deacon issue? I'm, just, I'm trying to understand which scripture he was applying, because, but I mean... Yeah, and, I mean, and then the other side of the argument is, as Robert points out, the deacon could be describing a servant in general, not the office. But I mean, and that's you know the more I mean, popular deacons argument. Deacons aren't necessarily authoritative in the church, so to speak. They're basically the bureaucracy. I don't want to say bureaucracy, but they're the well people in that the Baptist churches. They're very authoritative. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the idea is that the elders appoint the deacons. The deacons do what the elders desire to the good of the church. I mean. I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that maybe the church could uh, institute additional like deacon-esque offices, like orphanages. You know, you work for the church, so you're technically a servant of the church. Yeah. But I mean. So let's. Uh... Design is that's a role reserved for men, that men serve in the role of overseer. Another word the Bible uses is overseer, that God has designed, and in particular, the way that God has designed the authority structure of both the home and the church is that a man would serve as an elder. But that eldership is held in conjunction as a family, God's, God's family. It's like a family business with men and women together running the family business, that God designed it, that a husband would be the head of a household, as Ephesians 5 teaches, and in the same in the local church. Our interpretation is that an elder would be reserved for the role of a man. But within that, uh, a man who is the leader, our elders here at Saddleback are all men, uh, a man who is an elder can empower women and mobilize women to use their spiritual gifts in the local church. And we see this from a descriptive angle all throughout the course of the New Testament. Now, one of the passages of scripture that often comes up, people say it over and over and over again. What about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12? What about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12? And I want to read this verse to you because I think it is an important verse. Um, sometimes people can get confused. Now, um, as I studied this verse and I watched multiple videos from different theologians, uh, we can very clearly agree there are conservative Bible-believing theologians who interpret this passage of Scripture Name to different them. angles. Some believe that what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, that only men can teach in the local church. Now, let me read you what he says. He says this, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume 
or usurp authority over a man, she must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. I'm in verse 14 now. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, there are many people or a number of people who say that means Paul is saying a woman cannot teach in the local church, to which I would say um, that is not how Paul led in the local church. In fact, he commands, uh, or not commands, he commends uh, Priscilla that, and Aquila, uh, this couple that was a woman who was teaching in the local church. So that it's not exactly what Paul means. Now, he means something, and he, it's not just a flippant statement that's only cultural, because if it was, he wouldn't have tied it to creation. He uses creation and the fall, and humanity as a part of the anchor of this conversation. But I want you to notice the verbs that Paul uses in this particular passage. He says this, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Now, are those words mutually exclusive? There's also a whole another group of Bible-believing conservative theologians that would say in particular around those two verbs, that those verbs are in conjunction with one another. So like, you can't separate them out. It's not like teach is one thing and take authority is another. Paul is using two words to communicate one idea, two verbs to communicate one idea. And as he says it, he's saying, I do that idea is that they shouldn't be elders. Oh, well, I love the Freudian slip is Paul commanded. Like, you know, that, yeah, he commanded, uh, even though. I, I, I mean, his argument is basically amounting to Paul's contradicting himself. That's basically his argument. I'm going to let him finish his thought here. Do not permit a woman to take usurp. The word literally means to usurp or seize authority. So I don't permit a woman to seize authority, to teach and seize authority over a man. So my interpretation and the interpretation of our elders and many Bible-believing theologians is that what Paul is talking about is the condition, the behavior of a woman as she exercises the spiritual gifts, as she exercises her functions in the church. So just like Paul gives order in a home with a husband being the head of a household, he's saying, I don't permit a woman to come and seize that role. And so when a woman teaches in a local church, she's, she's teaching in conjunction with the authority of the church. She's not trying to overtake that authority when she uses that spiritual gift. She's using it under the authority of the eldership or the leadership of that local church. So in particular, here at Saddleback, um, we have a group of elders who are all men. We have women who will teach on our stage. All the men elders in our church are in full buy-in to women teaching and exercising their spiritual gift here at Saddleback as uh, our belief and interpretation of scripture. So there's not a time, uh, at least that I know of, that a woman has stepped onto the stage here at Saddleback to preach, that she's not had the blessing of all the elders here at Saddleback. And in particular, when Stacy, my wife, teaches and uses her spiritual gift, uh, there is a sense in which she's being empowered from me as the lead pastor, from the elders of the church, to exercise her spiritual gift. Now, there's a lot to this. I don't know your background. I don't know if you grew up in... So, I think it gets a little rambly for the next uh five minutes so i believe the next part we're going to come in at is like at the 18 minute mark so well, four minutes it's, away it's but like we got a lot you, to unpack here i mean he's trying to shove the mattress into the into the toyota corolla if you've seen that meme because none of what he actually says is even what's in the verse the verse doesn't say i do not permit a woman uh not to teach under the authority women can all he's saying that a woman can teach under the authority of a man but that's not what the verse says. I do not permit a woman. And he's reading, I assume he's reading NIV. Uh, I mean, there's but, a major category error. Like, here's another thing in scripture. Like, if God gives you authority, you're not supposed to delegate that authority. You can't just give, you know, if, if the, God makes man the head of the, his household and the head of his marriage, he can't delegate that authority to his wife. 
I mean, this is that is what he's arguing that you can do if you wouldn't apply. And maybe he would apply that to marriage using the whole mutual submission argument because, you know, the NIV 2011 wants to put that verse 21 in the pericope in Ephesians 5 that talks about marriage, which is, you know, not how that Greek works. But uh, I mean, if you actually look at, I mean, assuming his NIV uh, says at the top of chapter two instructions on worship. And that means it's, you know, if you go to verse eight or verse nine, it's women should dress mod- modestly with not not with elaborate hairstyles or gold and or expensive uh, clothes, but with good deeds p- appropriate for women who worship God. Again, talking about women, how they dress in church, women should learn in some quietness and full submission. And then I do not permit a woman to teach. And then verse 15, women will be safe through childbearing if they continue in faith love and holy again that's for all women that's not for women in the church that's not even for like it says man and woman not elder teacher pastor overseer any of that yeah and this is actually and because of the whole versification of the bible and the chapter and indexing doesn't happen yet this whole idea is about who is qualified to be an elder in the church and who's not and paul is specifically saying that women aren't qualified because women are more gullible that's the argument that he makes about because he explains it. They're not qualified to teach because they're more gullible. That's basically what chapter two is saying, because he talks about Adam and Eve. He goes back to Eve. Eve was deceived by the serpent. You can't have someone who's more easily deceived in that role. That's not to say that men can't be gullible. Uh, but what he's arguing is that people that are given authority by God can delegate that authority to someone else. That's not yeah. a biblical argument. I mean, he's making the argument that most churches that in the Southern Baptist Convention that have women pastors would say. We didn't make them senior pastors. Yeah. Because he's drawing a distinction between pastor and uh, elder. He's making a distinction between the two. And one does not exist in scripture. So I'm going to jump ahead to the 18 minute mark, 1809. This will be our last clip because, again, this guy just rambles. Uh, that's why we haven't watched, you know, him all the way through. So 1809 time. Uh, listen to your voice. I want to obey you. And in doing so, God will continue to show you so many things that are black and white in the Bible. Things like love one another. See that part if taken out of context sounds like i've edited this audio but it he just literally just changes in his inflection so randomly that's why i didn't want to like pause it right after he said that uh, treat one another with kindness and respect so many commands that are very prescriptive from scripture we want to do our very best to obey what is black and white and to continue as we hold these non-essentials to hold them with love yet at the same time to hold them with clarity and allow god to continue to move us forward i'm so grateful to be here at this season. This is a historic moment. The church at large, the global church, is looking for good Bible-believing examples of empowering women for ministry. So Saddleback, we, we wanna lead the way in that conversation. If we can be a part of mobilizing and empowering a whole generation of women, we would love nothing more than to lean into that conversation and empower women for ministry. We also want in this very vital season, as so many churches are drifting from the authority of scripture, we wanna stay anchored in God's word, 
obedient to his voice, listening to what he says, all the way from Genesis to Revelation in this wonderful book that he's given to us to submit to it and say, God, whatever you ask of us, you have our yes, and to trust him to continue to lead us and guide us. So I want to pray for you. So <laughs> that was a money clip right there, you know? It's like, we want to be the church that empowers women. I mean, the problem is we... These entire societies have empowered women for how many generations now? And yeah, we have a we have very empowered women to the point where we have a gynocracy. But yeah, we want to empower women. So many churches are in theological drift and are compromising on the authority of God's word. Gee, if only there was an obvious connection between the two. I mean, if that's an unlisted video, so what, that's going out to his own church? Who, yes, I, I assume mean, sure. I got go, this church from a tip, I or mean, this he, email from a tip, and I assume it went out to If you go to Saddleback church. church at this point, come on, how how much of any of what he's saying is already kind of baked into your cake as far as your theology goes? Okay, they've, you know, they've had these women in roles. They hired Andy Wood. Like, what are you, like, what questions yeah, what, would you have that he so would answer? You're basically saying if you've, uh, you know, where would you yet be struck? Yeah. I mean, if, if you go to Saddleback Church and haven't sensed, you know, haven't smelled the fish, you haven't smelled something fishy, where would you, what would it take for you to smell? What, what would you, what would they have to do uh, for you to say that's a bridge too far? Would they have to have a drag queen story hour? They're already pretty pro-gay. You know, they had their one pastor organize something with Andy Stanley or, or do a conference with him or is about to do a conference Do they have to him. invite T.D. Jakes? Uh, no, that, team that, up would, with, that wouldn't do it. Team up with Bethel and Reddy? I, I don't think that would do it. Like, they probably what, sing what? Bethel every Sunday for all I know. They would have to have a drag queen story hour or, you know, gay wedding or something. I think that's what it would take. I, where would they yet be struck? Uh, Me three Max says, "What the fur kick is he talking about?" <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, Scott says, "I can't imagine sitting through twenty plus minutes of this." Believe oh, me, me, I did it in increments. I, I I've been listening. I was listening to that in increments. And I was thinking about doing a video on it, but, you know, I figured the live stream might be a better format. Uh, Carolyn says, I'm extremely sick of hearing him say empower women. Uh, God empowers only is the follow-up. So, yeah, that, that pretty much takes us through our uh, tour of Saddleback Church's defense of the indefensible, I guess, because they didn't really do a good job presenting a defense because they just kind of made up interpretations of scripture. And they're the most Baptist church, obviously, because Baptists have a long history of ordaining women, you know, since like 1970. This is just... It's erroneous to think that we wouldn't split over this issue. So I'm, I am I don't know how there's a lot of pastors that I don't get how they got big. 
and maybe it was a Daniel diet for Rick Warren. That's how he got big. That, but uh, uh, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how John Piper got big because I just don't think he's sounds smart. I, I here's a very emotive pastor. Maybe that's why same with like Francis Chan and David Platt and Matt Chandler. They're very hyper emotional preachers. And maybe that's why they're big. Cause there's a appeal of that, but I don't, I don't get it. How, uh, and I imagine he's always had a liberal crowd. That's why he was buddy, buddy with uh, Barack Obama. I, I don't, I'm, I'm very confused as to how he is the way that he is. I mean, he's what San Francisco as far as no, his... he's Southern California. Oh, he's uh, San Diego, I guess. I, I don't know. Like all of California is like, there's, you know, to the person outside of California, there's San Francisco, maybe Oakland, there's Los Angeles, San Diego and Sacramento and stuff like that. But I don't know all the nuances of Sun Valley where, you know, John MacArthur's church is. I, I just assume that's somewhere in LA, right? I, it's all just one big city at this point, right? But uh, kudos. It's good times in California that they got like records amounts of snow, but they won't be able to, they didn't build like any reservoirs to capture all that melting water. So they get to have another drought this year, I imagine. But you know, it's, it's not like the environmentalist body of water that they could take from. Well, it's, apparently it's like it's more cost effective to ship water bottles from Fiji than it is to desalinize. But that's what some people say. But maybe technology will catch up at one point. Uh, any last uh, calls? Last call for questions? Because, again, I said we were going to keep this stream pretty concise. Uh, I'll, I'll try to catch up on some chat. Uh, Carolyn says Eve gave Adam the apple. God did not allow co-leadership again, as he made it clear that the men are the head. Uh, and yeah, pretty much, uh, Adam defied God. Eve was deceived is, you know, which makes Adam actually worse. That's why Adam's cursed with toil and stuff. Uh, Scott, uh, says this sounds like some GMT gay millennial theology. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, Andy Wood is compromised on that issue too. That should like, also be grounds for disfellowship at, at the Southern Baptist Convention. Like Saddleback is a pretty pro-gay church, uh, especially in these last two years. Rick Warren probably being the least pro-gay in, in the of the three pastors uh that I've mentioned about this issue on the pat in the past on Saddleback Church. He's probably the least. Uh, actually, four pastors if you count Stacy, uh, Andy, Stacy Wood, Andy Wood's wife. Uh, so that should also be grounds for disfellowshipping. But what made the disfellowshipping of? Uh, well, I've never. I don't know if I've heard about this. Do you think Warren's son's issues and suicide changed him? I didn't know he had a son that committed suicide. I mean, it was in. The I back, feel like. I mean, it's in the back of my mind because I think it was probably closer to 10 years ago at this point. Cause I, man, I'm trying to think like, I, I know, mean, was it Levi Lusco? I think lost a daughter. Uh, and I, I want to say Matt Chandler had something happen to one of his kids. I could be wrong. I, there's a lot of pastors who have tragic, uh, family backgrounds 
or a tragedy in their family. So it's hard to keep up with this. I, I didn't know that about Rick Warren, at least not off the top of my head. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that you would water, like if you had a feeling, like let's say the son was, let's say the son, a son or child, like an Abraham Piper was a little, was reprobate. I mean, and the pastor's theology softens to maybe, I don't say work that child into heaven somehow. I mean, there's a potential with that. Again, I don't know anything about Rick Warren's son other than like, I think it was depression. So there is, I mean, I imagine like if you're going to weaken, if that's going to affect his theology, it's a, it's going to promote him on the mental health, pop psychology, uh, which bandwagon. to some degree they have, like, yeah. I don't know. I haven't done any research on the whole celebrate recovery thing, but they got some sort of program. And then the other would be, he would soften his theology to basically write his, like, like write the child into heaven again. Not sure, not saying he's done that, but that would, those are two roads, I guess you would go off into if you were to, if, if a like son's death or a child's death were to change someone's theology. Okay. So we're definitely getting some uh, confirmation. Uh, yeah. Rick's son's killed himself. It's tragic and I, I'm sure it affected him. Yeah. Again, like I, I've never actually written a, a research paper or article on Rick Warren. I've just covered him. At, I've just basically at this point, because he's ordained women, that was basically the line I'm saying, you're a Southern Baptist who ordained women. I'm not going to treat you as a brother or a faithful teacher. So that was basically all I needed to know. And then you do more research, more and more research, his branch cabinianism, his overall liberalism. It's like, okay, there's not really any reason to really think that he's a not he's not a false teacher and that's without doing a whole uh history into his background uh like if you were to do research on brian houston you, you would you know frank houston his pedophile father would certainly come up uh but you wouldn't need that to say that hey him and his hillsong movement is bad uh uh smart simple fit says i don't think we should be shy about calling apostates apostates personally G gay affirmation equal done lady pastors equal done trans the kids equal forget about it so and yeah i, I completely uh, agree with that and again they had the groom groups at saddleback church that were established by their pastor or one of their pastors so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's basically all I have to say about this. Uh, unless you got anything. No. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the parting words will be like, if you look at like the race, critical race theory, feminist and feminism and then the gay stuff, they're all three the same. I mean, they're trying to rewrite. I mean, they're all Marxist in lens. And generally, if you accept one, you'll probably accept the others in tandem. I like mean... I like, I think Ru Russell Moore compromised on the race faction first, and then he uh, basically became a male feminist. Al Mohler at times as well. Uh, Al Mohler compromised. He hasn't bent on the issue of egalitarianism, though. That's his bread and butter issue. But he bent on the other two. Uh, and, yeah, you, you def there's the center does not hold if you bend on one of these issues. It's a three-pronged three, three -pronged thrust uh, between, like, 
critical race theory, egalitarianism, feminism, and then sexuality. It's a three-pronged thrust. And if you uh, don't fend off one of those attacks, you're going to fall to the other two. It, it's just a matter of time. And, you know, history doesn't disprove that. That's why the issue of women pastors is a primary issue. It does not work. It has always failed. It, you cannot point to a single denomination that this works in. And it's funny because in my, in the book that I have coming out, I write about this and I'm like, uh, maybe you could find some charismatic churches. And it's like, I look up, you know, some of the charismatic people that are the best at not being compromised. And you know what they belong to Calvary chapel or, uh, Carrie Gordon, who was like the guy preaching in the enemies within the church, uh, documentary. He's a charismatic. He doesn't have women pastors. Calvary Chapel doesn't do women pastors. So it doesn't work. But there's a lot of woke Pentecostals that do women pastors. You know, Joel Osteen, I think, would be in the Pentecostal realm as well. He's very woke. So they didn't put up a fight, you know, or Pentecostals really, this isn't really a fight in their circles. In in my observation, you have you know, your hyper charismatics, you know, Mark Driscoll doesn't allow women in the women to be pastors. If you look at all the people who are charismatic that haven't compromised on the three throng, uh, three prongs, they're the, the biggest names, or at least all the names I can even think of, because Carrie Gordon's not huge. They're all patriarchal. So, so. Uh, well, let me just see when his, I mean, his, it looks like his son died in 2013. Okay. So, I mean, I think, I mean, Rick Warren was pretty compromised before 2013. Yeah, I've never read any of his books. Um, so I'll end by saying this. Hey, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering commentary ministry. And we, you know, enjoy your support. Uh, least you could do is like the video, also subscribe to the channel. Uh, most you can do is support us at our Patreon-like system at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's all linked in the description below. Uh, otherwise, have a blessed day, and we will catch you on the next one.